You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist has smicha. Hi, I'm here with you, Sam Kolakowski, and we're here to darshan about old movies. And if not vintage TV, but TV that's almost, it's about 40 years old, at least for tonight, right? It's like, um, so, you know, when we talk about TV and we talk about TV from 40 years ago, uh, we probably uh, think uh, primarily, uh, although, you know, daytime television especially, we think primarily about the soaps, the soap operas. Uh, and of course, soap operas, as, as we discussed a couple of uh, sessions ago, we were talking about it uh, off the air, that uh, soap operas, of course, were, were staples of, of, of old time of, of radio. Uh, housewives would stay home and as they were ironing uh, their laundry, uh, they'd be listening to uh, the daily uh, saga and drama of what was going on with, with various families. Um, I don't remember all the names of them, but I know that some of them actually came over to television, like uh, Search for Tomorrow and The Guiding Light and As the World Turns. Um, and, 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 and these were addictive, but they were addictive in a very strange way because um, you know, it, it, it was like the story was a continuing story that went on for weeks and years with you know, various, in, including various characters. Um, and as you said to me uh, the other day, but it was all very much just to sell the soap. It was all just there to get you coming back tomorrow and hearing Palmolive presents as the world turns or whatever it was, because that's what women at home would be buying, right? In other words, the reason why it was a soap opera and it wasn't called a cigarette opera, because they, they assumed that the people that would be listening to it were the, the people at home, the women at home that were, if their lives weren't dreary, they were definitely still stuck within the Daladamas, so to speak, of, of their house. And this was a program that would keep them interested. It was sort of like, in a way, sort of like the movie mags and the romance uh, cheap novels that, you know, that they can imagine in their mind. And, and of course, with the subliminal messages of the soap, but also the other aspect, which I, which I told you, of course, was the opera was the fact that unlike, you know, other films that we've talked about before that had subtlety, that there was implication, uh, there was, you know, double entendres or, or things that were uh, meant to be ruminated about. These were up in your face like an opera. That, uh, and I know your wife is an opera singer and she, she understands, uh, as she was, right, that, that opera is about having a set of lungs and being able to, 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 to screech out or scream out your feelings strongly, emotionally. And, and that's what these programs were. Um, but they also were able to get away with something which would say your, your family's uh, listening and eventual viewing could not. There was sort of an element of tawdriness in these daytime soaps, I think even in the 50s and 60s, that weren't, wasn't really acceptable at night. There was implications and intimations of, of, of infidelity and of, 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 of children born out of wedlock. Uh, and, and, and all of this, of course, was the type of uh, grimy details uh, you know, that would keep everyone hooked. Now, there, was, there were, of course, films on the 1950s 
that uh, capitalized on this, you know, as as things went wide in terms of CinemaScope. Yeah. Right. You know. You know. Again, in the 1950s, we've spoken about this a lot about how uh, Hollywood needed to sort of fight uh, and get people out of their television living rooms and back into the theaters. And in the 1950s, we had, um, you know, uh, Doug, Douglas Sirk, a German who actually was married to a Jew, who uh, escaped Nazi Germany because of his wife, uh, and made, uh, you know, a, a number of lavish, you know, and I guess somewhat, I guess, influenced by, you know, the German expressionist lavish uh, type of uh, settings, um, you know, Magnificent Obsession, uh, All That Heaven Allows, um, and and the remake of Imitation of Life, which I saw when I was, uh, uh, I guess I must have been about eight or nine years old, which had, um, I think it had Lana Turner in it, and, and Lana Turner plays the, um, the very white uh, progeny of Ethel Waters, who is this uh, black woman who has given birth to her, and she is this, you know, uh, you know, white, uh, actually black, ge- genetically, who somehow, by some uh, strange quirk, is actually white. And you know, I remember how to me it was a very. Uh, I remember how, how how strange it was because you know everything was written so large. There was so much crying. There was so much tears. There was so much, um, you know, heavy-handed music. And that's what people wanted to see. There was, you know, the genres were were very, very much um, uh, compartmentalized in the 1950s. Again, which was really, even though the world was changing, but you knew, okay, this is a Western and this is a soap. And this was a a woman's film, a soap film, a film that was, you know, there would would be melodrama, uh, you know, up to the, uh, up to the hilt. And, you know, this really carried over uh, in, you know, in, in television soaps as well. Uh, you know, what I think what started to happen, though, at the you know at the end of the '60s and especially in the '70s, is is that soap operas, although you know they still retain their popularity, but soap operas start becoming almost like um, a. It's almost like it, it's it, it becomes an infectious variant, and it sort of like seeps itself. It sort of bleeds into uh, almost all other types of genres uh you know you know look for example you know we we're talking about vintage tv so i guess we could probably say that you know at the end of about 1982 i believe although i, I don't know if the year is exactly right but i think we started getting you know nighttime television programs that were unlike the daily soaps but were like weekly soaps um i don't know when dallas but you know dallas falcon crest um uh you know dynasty these were basically programs that were soap operas uh, done once a week, done very lavishly, very uh, uh, in your face. And, and, and uh, instead of just housewives, it seems like, you know, men and, <laughs> and, and maybe even teenagers started becoming addicted to this, this, to the, this, this type of programming where you had all these sort of, you know, uh, devious people and, and you know of course there's always one good person but you know there's people that are you know against each other and who knows what sort of great secret they're going to be hiding um and, and and that's sort of what it, it sort of becomes infectious to the point that you even have your standard nighttime drama ensemble piece basically becomes you know extended soap opera 
um, and, and, and I'm talking about, you know, f programs that were groundbreaking, but were basically, you know, upgraded soaps, which were, um, you know, Hill Street Blues, Saint Elsewhere, uh, L.A. Law, and, 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 and America couldn't get enough of it, uh, of these type of these, these soap, soapish types of programs. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the idea of uh, the story continuing the next week, uh, and which has now become so common that we don't realize that that's almost like standard fare. It is soapy type of fare. Um, yeah, I, I, and not only not only did the mainstream shows you know become soap operas, but also soap operas you know went into other genres as well. You know, you had Dark Shadows and uh, some other shows, Poor Charles Passions, that went into the you know the vampires and witches and ghosts and you know things like that that the fantasy and horror supernatural type right, of right. thing you using the same idea of, of recurring characters and getting people to be invested in them and sort of like what's going to be the twist right right who's going to get killed off so to speak um yeah so, and, and it goes back to what we we talked about the other two weeks ago when we spoke about the old that were for kids. This was the serials for the adults. That was uh, You're right. You're right. It was you know, to come back tomorrow, come back next week to find out what happens. It's a very different type of material, but they're both low budget, cheaply made, quickly made, and very addictive. The, the original soaps, but then you know Hollywood or, or whoever is in charge of the network said, "Oh, we got to just produce more of this stuff." And then, and, and and you sort of get something which today is called a dramedy. I'm sure you've heard that term before, because shows well, like it's, it's more of a 1980s term, I think. Right, but 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 that, but but it's 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 part of the morph of the soap inserting itself because yeah. it can't just be a comedy, right? So there has to be sort of like this, you know, there's the drama, and there's the comedy, and then there's the big reveal. Um, and and you know, the cliffhanger, like the you know, like sometimes like the last if, if a season if a program gets renewed, then there's always you know some shocking uh, buildup that comes with you know before the show goes on to summer hiatus. So all this is really you know it's incredible how uh, how something that was so reviled as something so minor and insignificant really becomes almost like the 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 dominant uh, the dominant way to 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 produce films or, or to produce television shows and films as well i mean I, I i think 1982 if i'm not mistaken or 1983 which is a little beyond you know the, the most popular film the most celebrated film of its time uh and i think it won the oscar for best picture was terms of endearment with your old teacher deborah winger in it um and uh, i i know she was up for best supporting actress um, I, I, I'm not sure if she won. I think she might have. She, not won. she, she never won. She did no, not win. But, but, but I was know... a big contention for her. Why she? Because yeah. she deserved to win for 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 that for other things too. Yes, yes. And of course, without giving anything away, she dies. Right? She has cancer and she dies. And you know the 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 program is 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 is, is, is very well written by James Brooks, of course, who had, who was involved in the Mary Tyler Moore Show, one of the creators of Mary Tyler Moore Show. That was, I think, his directorial debut, uh, I believe. But it was very much. Although it had comedy and it had extremely 
strong production values and snappy dialogue. You have John Lithgow and Jack Nicholson um, and Shirley MacLaine taking home the Oscar there, I believe. Um, but, you know, it, it comes down to a weepy situation, right? You know, it's how to deal with death. You know, uh, her death scene, you know, you know, many people still have a hard time watching it, but it does have, you know, it, 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 it connects itself to tragedy, uh, and which is, again, something that I think is indebted to well, sort of like a soap type of situation. Another film uh, that I believe of, of that period that was very well celebrated, of course, was Dustin Hoffman's Tootsie, where, you know, he's in drag and um, it was a, a, a film that many people see as one of the first solid salvos against male um, toxic masculinity, because um, Dustin often plays as sort of a toxic male actor who has to discover what it's like to live as a woman, and the way he lives as a woman is as a soap opera star. And, you know, the, the film makes fun of these television soaps, which were already, I think, in a way, not as dominant uh, as they had been. But again, the, the film underscores uh, the fascination uh, that we have with, you know, <laughs> we're just hanging on to what happens there, you know, and as much as it's making fun of soap operas, uh, it's also in a way, um, you know, <laughs> I would say Tootsie itself is somewhat of a, of a soap, you know, it's, it's, it's a comedy, but on the, same, on the same hand, you know, it has a, you know, a sort of a very strong, again, you, you could say it's a little bit connected to, to The Apartment, which is a comedy with a, like Billy Wilder's The Apartment or The Fortune Cookie, which has, you know, a strong message to it. But, you know, it, 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 in some ways, Tootsie and Terms of Endearment are in a way examples of how the soap has landed and is not going to be moved out of its way. And I'll tell you, I'm not recommending any of that. This is just a drosha for my recommendation. Um, uh, my, my, my first pick, so to speak, now that we've laid the groundwork, um, is for a program that um, was at the end of the 70s. I think it was, uh, I think it started in 1978 or 79. And that is uh, Susan Harris's soap, which really decided, you know, let's, you know, we have sort of, you know, Norman Lear and Bud Yorkin, it came up with these, um, uh, these cutting edge sort of comedies. But the characters were, you know, very serious and dealing with social issues. Let's deal with important social issues, have something like those characters, but let's put them in a sort of a zany soap-like situation where you could do things that are off the wall, where you could actually respond in strange ways, where you could actually have a character who, who believes he's, you know, he's, he's the embodiment of a space alien, or you have a character who, who, who walks around with a ventriloquist dummy, and the dummy is able to uh, consistently uh, be the mouthpiece for all the vulgar parts, while the, the the person himself is just the sweetest person around. And we can just keep on, uh, you know, a, 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 a father who uh, is, you know, who's still emo is sort of suffering from Alzheimer's and thinks that he's uh, fighting World War II. Uh, and 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 let's just run with it. You know, we can bring in gags like the mafia and and other things that were popular at the time, and and push the envelope any way we want. And and it, and it was very much a risque program. Um, for, it was very least, controversial. They, they it was they tried to ban it even before it came out, just because it dealt with homosexuality, dealt with 
they 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 accuse it of things that it didn't even think of you know like and, and that probably you know we with all these things we see now you know cancellation and the uh, banning make things more popular you know and sometimes no you don't you're not such a maven in star trek but you do know that the the next generation is much more soap opera like than star trek you know oh, absolutely star- yeah and and it's from that era and, you, and, and yeah that's a that's a very good point and, you know the you star know, star trek w- again it was a brand new type of thing but it was similar to space to some of the other programs that had preceded it in terms of a space uh station and a, you know a, 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 i mean it was it was more sophisticated than than lost in space you know lost in space and all these other were more for children and were right and there, and, and there was a show in the 1950s that lasted a short time also about a group of uh of people on a on a spaceship but yeah, we know that we know that star we know that star trek had uh you know had a bigger uh target to attack but the next generation was, was, a soap opera. was yeah. really a soap opera it really you know it, you know and, and it was it, it, the continuing storylines and the interconnectivity between the characters it really wasn't that that really shows you i think the how when roddenberry relaunches star trek it has to be in a soap opera way but getting back to soap which is really in a way um like sort of saying now that soap operas are so a, a lampoon of themselves we're going to lampoon it up to the hilt and um, that's what the, the purpose of the program was. Susan Harris, I know the first two years, I think she wrote every episode, a Jewish girl, a uh, uh, maiden name of Spivak. And um, as you said, the character I didn't mention, of course, was the, you know, it, was a, it featured prominently a homosexual character played by Billy Crystal. Now, Billy Crystal has said, you know, that um, you know, he was one of the original people that were called in for Saturday Night Live. And for some reason, Warren Michaels didn't accept him you know for some reason warren michaels didn't want him to be one of the not ready to not ready for prime time players and because of that he was searching around for something and and when this came up he was he was able to take this role and to do this weekly program and when you watch billy crystal from 79 i mean obviously billy crystal has been active and has had a meteoric career but you can see him playing, and again, I said to you the other day, Yitzchak, that he would, today, there's no way we could have a straight guy uh, play a homosexual, right? Or Tom Hanks playing a homosexual in Philadelphia, suffering from AIDS. Today, that would be like, you know, again, that would border on uh, you know, identity uh, appropriation. But this was a character that was not as, he was not as, uh, aberrant as some of his his brothers his brothers and cousins and and stepbrothers and cousins you know he was he was homosexual but in many ways he was the most stable smart person on the program um he didn't walk around and flitter he didn't uh, dress uh, in some excessively pinkish manner and 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 uh right and in that way soap was important for the gay community because they had a character that was not, um, he was clearly gay, openly homosexual, talked about having sex with men, and, um, but, but was, was a human, had his flaws. But in, in, in some ways, you know, what, what Susan was really dealing with was also, you know, because he ends up like getting involved with a woman. I don't remember the exact details, but I think in one of the episodes later, you know, and, and it brings up the question about, you know, can you turn a homosexual? Is it possible for a person who is homosexual to actually 
you know, uh, is it something that's entrenched in the person or not? Something which today, I don't know if you can even ask that question. But, but the program, you're right, it, it was risque in, in that manner. I would like, I, it, you can see it on Tubi for free. I, and I know you know what Tubi is, and I know our listeners probably can find it as well. If they have, uh, you know, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, and, and the first two seasons are on there. And I would just suggest to, to I think it's 9, 10, 11, and 12 of season one. And, I, and the reason why I'm suggesting to see it, because first of all, it highlights uh, Billy Crystal as he goes into the hospital, you know, for a sex change operation. Of course, you know, this takes months and months and months. You don't come out like in one week, you know. It, this is really a big process of hormones and other things like that. But of course, in TV, everything is compressed. The reason to watch the show, though, is for Harold Gould. I love Harold Gould. Harold Gould, Harold Goldstein, he is, um, you know, um, he uh, has had a long career in television and in film. He was in The Sting, uh, Kid Twist, he played in The Sting. He was rackish. Uh, he was really what you call a good-looking Jew. I mean, you knew he was Jewish. You know, Paul Newman, you know, it's hard to know. Harrison Ford, we've talked about that. You know, they, they could pass. Harold Gould, you knew, was Jewish, but he was, uh, he was a, uh, a, a real striking looking person it also goes against what whoopi said that you didn't know who was jewish Every- he's very comfortable playing jews he was very comfortable and he, and he- his first uh, screen role was the man from planet x in 1951 but he wasn't credited i think it was like an extra or something in that i'm, I'm <laughs> sure that's that, that's that- <laughs> and, but he was he played a scotsman in that because <laughs> it, it took place on the moors and- yes yes well like i said he you know he did do a number of accents um, he was Rhoda's father in, on, 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 in a couple of episodes of, of, of Mary Tyler Moore and in the spinoff Rhoda. But I think his, the pinnacle of his acting, of his long career, was these four episodes that he did, Harold Gould. And he, and he, and he was in The Golden Girls a number of times. It was also Susan Harris's show. But the four episodes that he did with uh, acting vis-a-vis um, vis-a-vis Billy Crystal are just magnificent. I mean, he, he, first of all, the Yiddishisms, it's not overdone and, you know, it's not with a heavy accent, but enough of a lilt of a Europeish Tom that you you really know from the get-go. Vezmir, Amazel, Afegele, you know, you know, and, you know, you knew that he didn't have to take lessons to be able uh, to say it properly. Um, and really, what, what 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 stands out about it uh, is that he um, convinces Jody uh, com- is, tries to commit suicide when he finds out that his uh, professional football star lover is um, going to have to get married and get involved in a, a, a phony marriage for publicity's sake and although he was doing this whole operation in order to for love and now that he sees his love was abandoned uh, he takes you know whatever it is a whole tray of pills to kill himself and um, it's uh, Harold Gould playing uh, Barney Gerber who convinces him to live and he talks about his life and talks about what it means to to suffer and how to keep positive and talks about his first wife and then his second wife 
And, you know, although the, the, the program, you know, goes for sometimes obvious easy laughs, I wouldn't say pratfalls, but the, the verbal equivalent of pratfalls and insults, this part is really, um, it, it, it's such a great slice of humanity uh, and it rings so true. Um, and it isn't just, oh, the Jew has suffered. He, he, he brings to it Jewish wisdom as a human being and positivity. And it's great how uh, Billy Crystal, obviously very much a Jew himself, but not playing a Jew, playing a, you know, playing a, uh, uh, a wasp. But Billy Crystal talks about how Barney's the first person who's ever seen him as a human being, not necessarily, you know, as a homosexual. And he talked to him as a human being. So I would say watching those episodes are great. There's another little advantage in them. I think Ted Loss, who plays Jody's brother, um, also has a, 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 this part of the, 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 the comedy is that he's being chased by the mafia and he needs to be in disguise. So he comes to visit his brother in the hospital dressed in all different types of outfits um, and he visits the family. And, and one time he actually comes in uh, to the dressed as a mashulach, and he comes to the to their house, and he comes to the hospital. I think the hospital he comes dressed as an Arab in order to play off of Harold Gould, you know. And Harold Gould, oh, you're an Arab, I mean, you know. In those days, you could still, you know, get away with that. Um, and but you know, he does a. It, it's quite funny, um, you know, playing the rabbi collecting for trees in Israel, and the and the mafiosa guy, the 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 Godfather, as they call him, you know, questions him about trees in Israel. What's going on with you Jews and your trees, and what's happening? And of course, Ted Wasp acting like a Jew, comes back and says, you want suffering? I tell you about suffering. I tell you about 5,000 years of suffering. And, you know, and that, there's, there's enough there in that Jewish angst that even the mafia godfather has to, has to shudder and just take $20 out of his wallet and, and, and contribute for trees in Eretz Israel. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's just a great, again, again, Susan Harris was channeling all her Yiddishkeit there. And I think she really created a, a really a great character in that. So I can't really recommend as a rabbi, I can't recommend the whole series because it's just, it's just too off the wall and, and, and too, in many ways, um, uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> really not where we should be going. But I, I think in terms of, uh, in terms of great representation, I think, uh, I think, you know, that, that is, that's where um, uh, Harold Gould, I think, uh, earns his stripes as, as, as one of the best um, portrayers of, of Jewish characters on film and on, on television. All right, after that big schmooze, Yitzhak, what do you got for us? Interesting, I guess, a short film that I think it was the Mobile uh, Television Theater presented in 1982. And I, I, it came to my attention because the uh, a Jewish uh, radio host, Mark Levin, actually read pretty much this whole short story which was written in the 1960s by uh, James Clavel who right is that his name right Clavel I always thought it was James Clavel but okay Clavel Clavel right and uh, you know who was famous for Shogun and many other uh, books and and uh, movies that he made his first screenplay was The Fly which you know was a brilliant science fiction screenplay great you know very well written very uh you know with uh vincent price and uh and al hedison 
you know, great, probably, you know, one of the great science fiction movies of the 50s, you know, real classic film, not, not you know, not a B movie, uh, but, uh, you know, really like an A picture as far as those types of sci-fi movies, you know, there was, there were sequels that were B pictures, but the, the original was really brilliant film. Um, but this short story that he wrote was a story. So it, it's a frightening, frightening story. And, it, and I think the reason why, you know, Levin being very right wing uh, talk show host, you know, he was commenting on how things have changed so quickly here in America with, you know, in the, the, all the reactions to, uh, to the COVID epidemic with masks and everything and how quickly people can be changed. And this story the chilling aspect is how the whole story takes place, you know, in the, in the book, uh, you know, which you can find a PDF copy online of the original, you know, short story. It it makes a point of when does it begin? When does it end? And and it's all in a span of about 25 minutes. And here you've presented with, and the movie is fairly, you know, pretty much the same as the story. You know, you get some more details in the in the book. It's it's you know they're both pretty short. You can it's worthwhile to check them both out. But basic premise is you you start off with this very dedicated old teacher saying goodbye to her students. Uh, the setting is you know after some great war and they won. Whoever the other side, you don't say who it is, but it seems there's some kind of a one world government took over America, took over everything. And an old, an old teacher is taken away. We don't know if she's going to be killed or just sent to a, a re-education camp or what is going to happen to her. And a new young teacher comes in wearing some sort of, you know, somewhat like a uniform, but not exactly. And she's telling the kids, you know, all kinds of interesting things, really trying to, talk to them with a lot of respect with a lot of you know showing how much of a better teacher she is than the old teacher and really using all these things to brainwash these kids to abandon their families to abandon their country to abandon god and and to do so just so quickly that they're they're willing to cut up an american flag to deny god to abandon their families to you know, admit that their family, that their parents are wrong, and all kinds of things, and uh, it's really, really quite a chilling story. In fact, when I tried to watch it, um, my one of my daughters, you know, the first time I tried to watch it, one of my daughters, she she said it was too, it was too chilling. It was too, you know, we watched, you know, the whole thing is about twenty five minutes. We watched about 10 minutes of it, and my one daughter said she couldn't watch any more of it. It was too disturbing, and there's nothing really that disturbing about it. The disturbing thing is how friendly and nice this really, really wicked teacher is, you know, but she's just doing what, what you know, following orders, and it's, and in the end, I, I don't really maybe want to give away, but it's, it shows how even, you know, the feelings of opposition can be turned around against a person and how how vulnerable all of us are to to, so to indoctrination and it doesn't it, it, it's fascinating i mean I, I i i think i'm gonna go out and try to watch it soon but is it 
you know, how does the, you know, how does Clavel able to pull this off? Just, I mean, is it just her talking? Is it, is it, is it, is it developed by close-ups? Is there something that, you know, there's got to be some way that even your daughter finds it so chilling. I mean, just watching a, 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 a film of a person speaking in a, um, speaking to a bunch of students there must be something there there must be the, the camera work there must be something in terms of or or, or the actress uh i think it was his you said it was his daughter who played the daughter, yeah it was his daughter who actually inspired the story the original short story uh and the truth is the acting isn't very good it's not <laughs> it's not a it's not a very well-made film but this the short story i think is much Better you're, say, than the you're saying that the, you're saying that the, the the words that this teacher uses have such power, despite the fact that they might have been uttered so unprofessionally by the actress that was doing it. But well, so, I, don't, I don't, I don't even know. Well, it was, it was her first role. I think she did have. I think she was a Bond actor. girl, wasn't she? I think I was reading yeah. up. I think she was a Bond. I think she was an octopus, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think she was one of the Bond girls in Octopus. Yeah, so. Um, but the, uh, the, the Michaela, real... Michaela Clavel. Yeah, the the. the I think know, part of the I, part I of the point is she she presents herself, you know, as as a school teacher. So it's, you know, there is that stilted a- attitude that that would be. But part of it is know, part of it is is is, is you know young versus old. Um, that you know the old doesn't know what they were doing, right? And they, I think right. Mildred, Mildred Dunnock, I think, is the is the was was a very established uh, character actress. Was the old teacher, right? right. And uh, you know, so here you have this you know this this beautiful uh, young fresh teacher coming in. Of course, that that that's how these ideals are sold. All these you know these these totalitarian anti God anti parent ideas. You can package them, and if you package them right. young people are going to be the ones that are going to be vulnerable for them. I think that's, and we see that, we saw that in, you know, the rise of Nazism, right, in terms of Hitler youth. And, you know, and and I think the subtitle is that it's the children's story, not just for children, you know, that's the, and actually in the, in the TV version, it was hosted by uh, Peter Ustinov, who we spoke about before. Yes, uh, one of my favorite actors. Sure. And, uh, he, was, he, was the, he was the host, like the Alistair... Um, uh, Alistair Cook, yeah. Alistair Cook introduction for the Noble Theater, okay. At least, I don't know if he was for every episode, but he was, he was for this one. And they actually presented that they said this was such an important story that they presented it without any commercials. That was also part of the, the way it was presented. And it's, uh, you know, it's, so it's, uh, I've, I've noticed that it, it has gotten a little bit more attention recently, I guess. Uh, you know, I th- yeah. As we are dealing with the culture that uh, <laughs> we are talking a lot about a lot of heavy indoctrination going on. So, and uh, it's, it's, it's so, it's so, strange you know what we're seeing it's not it's not what okay who who would ever expect that that you know people who are part of the counterculture you know like uh, you know crosby stills nash and young you know are 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 the ones who are fighting for the man now you know the ones who are standing up against the man they're the ones who are you know they're defending the man you know they are you know it's it's frightening it's it's uh 
It's, I'm not really I'm not really up to everything that's going on in terms of we're, 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 you know what, who the newest target is, but uh, you know uh, I, I sympathize 100 percent because obviously they're you know you know the, I, I think the you know I think discovering you know, programs like the ones we're talking about I think are important because I think it it says what you know things were different you know um, and I think we have to be we have to be careful that the you know the cancel culture police don't get a hold of programs like soap uh or like uh you know where where the arguments you know are made about well maybe you shouldn't get a sex change operation maybe you shouldn't you know or maybe you could be different um uh, um the um and and jews again you know, you know, could be seen as people that are scared, as opposed to you know being the oppressive ones. Like as you can see in you know in soap from from you know from those characters, which of course today is like what Jews are the oppressive, Jews are an oppressed minority. How can anybody say that? So I think these programs, when we see them, although people say, well, that was forty years ago, but I think that they are a testament uh, to some of the lies that. Uh, our society is sort of pushing right now. So, yeah. Besides being some good entertainment that uh, that could perhaps get you thinking, it could also the fact that they're out there. I think is a um, is a defense that we can that we can point to. That's part of what the you know, you know the hieroglyphics, the caveman's etchings, um, the the celluloid, what's in the old projectionist vault. All that stuff is something that. Uh, can hold hopefully uh some positive things for us so <laughs> that's about it my friends watch your step on the way out we'll catch you next time be well thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode